Welcome everybody to Weiss Camera Action. I am your nasally host, Aaron Weiss, alongside the Duchess of Decatur, Erica J. Weiss. Hello everybody. Erica, how are you doing this fine Tuesday? I do believe it's Tuesday, yeah. Um, I'm good. We are in the final days of the year of our Lord 2021, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. I'm eating Twizzlers. Aaron's eating cold pizza. <laughs> it is what it is. So this is suddenly a mukbang. A what? Mukbang. 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 What? Explain. It's like a style of. YouTube video, I guess it's usually not really a podcast, but you like eat your food and just talk to your audience. That's all you do. Well, that's all I desire to do anyway. Um, This week we are talking about Harrison Potter (laughs) in the Goblet of Fire Mm -hmm. by J.K. Rowling. Sort of by J.K. Rowling. We're focusing on the movie. Right. Directed by... Shoot, I have his name pulled up. One second. It's Mike Newell. Uh, yeah, I can confirm. <laughs> um, this movie is the fourth in the Harry Potter series and one of our least favorite. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but... Still fun nonetheless. Just because it's one of our least favorite Harry Potter movies doesn't mean it's bad. Because it's still Harry Potter. It's still Harry Potter. It's a lot of fun to watch. And it's probably one that I've seen the most because it seems to always be on Freeform. That's very true. And the book is so good. It's true. The reason we don't like it as much, and we'll get into it later when we compare the book and movie, but... It's probably the least faithfully adapted of the movies. Yeah. Um, But like I said, we'll get into that later. Uh, Erica, what are your impressions of this movie? Um, I think it's a little bit all over the place for me. And I think that Mike Newell's style of directing might be my least favorite of all the directors. So... I would say that's, like, my initial impression. I think of, you know, moments like um, the scene when they go to the uh, Quidditch World Cup where we don't get to see any Quidditch being played. Mm -hmm. Immediate red flags (laughs) to start off the movie. Um, I think about Durmstrang and Bobaton being made all boys' schools and all girls' schools in the movie, which it's not that in the books. And that just seems a little goofy. Um, how they're kind of, like, extra-masculinized and extra-feminized as they, like, enter Hogwarts and, like, flutter their dresses and have big, scary staffs and... You know what I mean? So, to me, it just... It seems a little bit uninspired. It seems a little bit... Um... Like, they missed the mark on so many components but i also think that oh also they all look crazy they all have the longest hair i've ever seen 
Okay, but other than that, <laughs> um, it's still a really good, um, <coughs> oh my gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. It's still, okay, a really good storyline is what I'm trying to say. Like, the Triwizard Tournament is still really cool, and, um, I love that whole component of it, like, all the different tasks. And I think that the tasks are actually done really well. I would say that the first and second task especially look really cool in the movie to me. Um, and then the third task is a little bit not done quite as well in the movie. But regardless, I think they did a pretty good job of nailing what the Triwizard Tournament probably was like in terms of the tasks. But maybe missed the overall vibe of that school year just um, due to how they portrayed Jarmstrang and Bobaton. Oh, and the Yule Ball is amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's some camp in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it is pretty campy. Um, I specifically think of Barty Crouch giving out the dragons. And said, mm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That one. Um, there's also just like... Speaking of the Yule Ball, like, whenever Hermione gets mad at Harry and Ron, he she, like, out of left field becomes this, like, disgruntled mom. <laughs> um, Off to bed, both of you. Yeah, like, I can understand her being mad, but if that's all she can say... Like, I don't know, just... And then she cries and throws off her shoes <coughs> as she's on the stairs, I guess, to have her Cinderella moment. It all just seems like drama, though. Yeah, um, I'm sure there are other instances of camp, but, yeah, I mean, this movie is fun, for sure. I, I think that's the best thing I can say about this movie, is, like, just how fun it is. Um, it kind of does bring back some of that fun whimsy from the first two, but it doesn't always work like it does in yeah. the first two. I think he that might have been his goal was to make it a little bit more fun and whimsical than the previous movie was. To kind of echo more of the first two movies. But I think it missed the mark more than it hit it. When really it should have been as dark, if not darker, than the previous movie. Right, I agree. It still got the PG-13 rating. It was the first one to get the PG-13 rating. Really? I actually didn't know that. And... um. I don't know, just the kitty kind of campiness that they tried for just doesn't work for me because of that rating. Hmm. Um, but that being said, it does have one of my favorite openings of the series. And I'm glad that they kept this. Um, I'm glad that they kept this from the book. I, I do wish it had gone like as in-depth as it did in the book, but I, I can understand why it didn't. But we'll, we'll just get right to the plot. Harry has a... Oh. Oh, oh, wait. We won't get right to the plot because we have some fun facts. <laughs> All right. Hit me with them. The underwater scenes were shot in a huge, purpose-built tank with a blue screen background, which makes a lot of sense. I would hate to think of them actually in a lake. Sounds pretty terrifying. Safety divers swam in between tanks with scuba regulators to allow the actors and actresses to breathe without having to resurface. Daniel Radcliffe alone logged around 41 hours and 38 minutes underwater during the course of filming. Jeez. 
It's a lifetime. I know. All right. <clears throat> the kids had around three weeks of dancing practice for the Yule Ball Waltz. Daniel Radcliffe, however, appears in almost every single scene of the entire movie and thus had only four days to prepare for this task. In several interviews, he has given that reason for why his dancing is shown mainly from the waist up to avoid showing his fumbling feet. Fortunately, this wasn't a huge issue as Harry was not supposed to be a good dancer anyway. And I'll find one more for the funsies of it. Okay. Um, director Mike Newell decided against the studio's original idea of adapting the extremely long book into two separate movies to be released several months apart, figuring that he could cut enough of the book's bulky subplots to make the workable to make a workable movie. It was Alfonso Cuaron, the director of the previous movie, who convinced him. And, yeah, I would say that the parts of, I know that I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but the parts of the book that he did cut were mainly stuff like SPEW and denoming the Weasley's yard. So, I can give it to him that, <laughs> that maybe wasn't the most important. Yeah, he did cut a lot of the fluff. Um... But he also cut stuff like, Showing Quidditch at the Quidditch World Cup and showing the really cool stuff that was in the maze at the end. So, I did take a little bit of an issue with that. Yeah. But I'm, overall, I think he cut cuttable stuff. I mean, the the World Cup is so cool, especially in the book. Like, just... And I think that would have been a great moment to show Victor before getting to Hogwarts. Like, and of course, it, it, I showed him a little bit, but we didn't really get to see him... Doing, like, his cool Quidditch moves, like the Ronsky fight and stuff like that, you mm -hmm. know? I think that that would have been really beneficial for us to get to see that in the movie. So that way, when he gets chosen um, to be a Triwizard Champion, we know what Harry's up against a little bit more. Yeah, we just think that he's in, he's up against a famous dude, like, right. going off the movie. Right, exactly. And not actually, like... A talented wizard. Yeah, super talented, skilled wizard. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's actually really interesting that I, I had no idea that Alfonso Cuaron had the idea to cut the fluff. And I also had no idea that they were originally going to want to try to do it into two movies. I didn't know that either. Could you imagine if they had tried to do the last four books in two parts each? I think that could have been really beneficial in some ways, but also might have been... It might have hurt it in other ways because it might have allowed the actors and actresses to grow up a little too much. Like, it might have extended the amount of time it took them to film since they were making two movies each for each book. Mm -hmm. You know, they were already, I think, 21 by the time they were filming the last movie when they were supposed to be portraying 17-year-olds. Which isn't too far off. Not too far off. I imagine if they got to be 25 or 26. Yeah. You know, that could have that could have definitely put a damper on things. Yeah, but I do think that the way that they were talking about filming it was filming everything at once and then just editing it into two movies. Right, but I think that would still be a longer filming process. Maybe. Regardless, because they're getting twice as much footage. I mean, but then again, I mean, if they are filming everything at once, I, it probably wouldn't add on like that many years. The Lord of the Rings trilogy was filmed in 18 months. They filmed all three movies together. Wow. I didn't know that. Huh. Those are some long movies. 
and that we will be watching very soon. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about them as if I've seen them. Um, <laughs> yeah, so now we're going to get into the plot. Love it. Erica, do you mind actually reading the plot this time? Okay, I'll do it. Harry Potter has a nightmare wherein a muggle caretaker named Frank Bryce is killed after overhearing Lord Voldemort conspiring with Peter Pettigrew and another man. Harry attends the Quidditch World Cup with the Weasleys and Hermione, during which Death Eaters terrorize the camp. The same man who appeared in Harry's dream conjures the dark mark. Alright. At Hogwarts, Albus Dumbledore introduces ex-Auror Alistair and, quote, Mad-Eye Moody as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. He also announces that school that the school will host the revived Triwizard Tournament, in which three magical schools compete across three challenges. Only wizards aged 17 and above may compete. The Goblet of Fire selects the champions who will participate in the competition. Okay, the summer is about to kind of move ahead of itself a little bit, I think. There's a big deal about, like, putting your name in the Goblet of Fire. It's not just, like, the Goblet selects three random students. You can only put your name in if you want to participate, and you have to be 17, of course. Right. So, um, I just wanted to make that clear because it's not like someone's name can just come out of the goblet if their name wasn't put into the goblet in the first place. Right, Someone, something nefarious is up. Yes. So, the Goblet of Fire selects the champions who will participate in the competition. Cedric Diggory of Hufflepuff, representing Hogwarts. Woo-woo. Victor Crumb, representing Durmstrang, uh, from Eastern Europe. And Fleur de la Cour, representing the Beaubaton Academy of Magic from France. The Goblet of Fire unexpectedly selects Harry as a fourth champion from a non-existent school. Okay, they don't talk about it being a non-existent school in the movie at all. They don't, yeah. It just it just says Harry Potter on it. Dumbledore is unable to disqualify the underage Harry, as Ministry official Barty Crouch Sr. insists all champions are magically bound to compete after being selected. Has that confused you before? That has... The uh, concept of, like, they're magically bound to do it. Like, who, who's anyone to say that Harry can't just show up to get the dragon and say, I can't do it! I give up! Like, does he have to try his hardest in every single task if he doesn't want to? I mean, there's no way it's, like, an unbreakable vow. That would be so, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Sinister for that... a, uh, like middle school slash high school to have that put on them yeah that would that would be very sinister but also just like again nefarious like very unlikely that the tournament would would like the tournament committee would allow that you know what i mean i agree all right for the first task, each champion must retrieve a golden egg guarded by a dragon. Each successfully retrieves their egg, which contains information about the second challenge. All right, pause. Harry wins this challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a big deal for him because at first, everyone at the school is pretty mad at Harry for being a champion. Because, mm-hmm. well, first of all, Hufflepuff House is specifically mad for taking glory away from Hufflepuff. Right. Which is kind of like a Gryffindor's thing. You know, and um, he's underage. People think that he just put his name into show off because he's famous and he thinks he can do whatever he wants. Even Ron thinks this. Yep. 
So it's a pretty big deal when Harry ends up winning. It kind of, first of all, shows a lot of people that Harry is in a very dangerous situation because they get to see him do the task and see how dangerous it is. Yep. So people feel for him a lot more, including Ron. Ron comes back and, like, apologizes and everything. In um, his own way. <laughs> yeah, he sort of does. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to make it clear. Harry wins. Yeah. And also, like... It, not only does he win, like, he wins in such a different fashion than the other yes, champions. Yes. Um, no one else used a broom. Uh, not even Crumb. Which you're not allowed to bring a broom into the task, but you're allowed to bring your wand. And there's no limits to what you can do with your wand, including conjuring your broom. Right, which is precisely what Harry does. And Harry being such an adept flyer... Um, well, in the movie, it's really cool. I don't know if it's as, I don't remember if it's as coolly described in the book, but um, it's just really cool how he like zips around with the dragon behind tail, and um, the dragon kind of breaks his chain that he's supposed to. You know, he, Harry's supposed to be in danger, but not as much danger as he gets himself into, and then he just swipes up the egg. Um, at the last second, and it's just, it's really cool. It's it's a lot of fun to yeah. watch. I think it's my my favorite task to watch in the movie. Yeah, it might be mine too. We'll get to that later, though. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, he wins that task. Next, the Yule Ball, a formal dance, takes place. Harry and Ron attend with sisters Parvati and Padma Patil. Harry's crush Cho Chang attends with Cedric. And Hermione <coughs> intends with Victor, making Ron jealous. All right. Do we want to talk about the Yule Ball at all? Um, we've kind of already talked about it a That's little, true. but if it's, you want to expound. I just think it's, first of all, maybe one of the best looking scenes in the movie. <coughs> it's, really it's one of the brightest. Yeah. And it, it, it just, to me, everything looks exactly how it's supposed to look. Yeah. I love that scene. The wardrobes were nailed. Yes. Especially Ron's. And I, I love that little part when um, McGonagall tells Harry that he has to be one of the first dancers because he's a champion. And she says, <coughs> surely someone told you this. And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, well, now you know. And it just kind of sends him in to make some dance in front of everyone. It always makes me giggle. McGonagall's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's kind of a rascal in this scene. She is a little rascal. I love McGonagall. I love McGonagall's rascal side. <laughs> Um, okay, the second task involves the champions diving underwater to rescue someone valuable to them. Harry finishes third, but is prompted, oh, is promoted to second behind Cedric due to his quote-unquote moral, moral fiber after saving Fleur's sister Gabrielle as well as Ron. So basically, Fleur is unable to complete the task because she gets attacked by a Grindelo, and, um... Harry's dumb self thinks that his, uh, Gabrielle will actually die if Fleur doesn't come get her. Well... And so he, like, tries to save her. Is he dumb, though? Because he's led to believe that the people won't be safe if they're not rescued by them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of worded like that, the task. Uh It doesn't really matter. Um, no, yeah. you're, you're probably right. I mean, 
but I, he he definitely took it more seriously than the other. Well, actually, no, he didn't, because even Floor was like kind of freaking out, freaking out, and um, I mean, obviously, the judges in Dumbledore knew that they were never really in danger. Right. The song that the mermaids sang kind of made it sound like that. Right. And um. I don't know. I guess all of his friends were kind of like, Harry, you crazy boy. You and your immoral fiber. Like, they're kind of like poking fun at him for thinking that, but maybe it's not such a dumb move after all. Uh, where are we? Uh, oh, yeah. Quote, unquote, moral fiber after saving Fleur's sister Gabrielle as well as Ron. Afterwards, Harry discovers Barty Crouch Sr.'s body in the forest. <coughs> While waiting for Dumbledore in his office, Harry discovers a pensieve, which holds Dumbledore's memories. Harry witnesses a trial in which Dumbledore's <coughs> headmaster and formal death, former Death Eater Igor Karkarov confesses to the Ministry of Magic names of other Death Eaters after Voldemort's defeat. When he names Severus Snape, Dumbledore vouches for Snape's innocence. Snape turned spy against Voldemort before the latter's downfall. <coughs> After Karkaroff names Barty Crouch Jr., a devastated Crouch Sr. Imprisons, imprisons his son in Azkaban. Exiting the pensive, Harry realizes that Crouch Jr. is the man in his dream. So that's kind of explained back to the dream at the beginning of the movie. Um, and the same man who cast the dark Mark, yes. Uh, also, totally a like a bomb that got dropped that Snape did in fact used to be a Death Eater. That's when we find that out as an audience member. It had later. always been suspected. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, this is also the term the first time we hear the term Death Eater, right? We learn about that term in this this book, book. and movie, but I don't know if we hear it for the first time, right? Later. Like, um, it the, before they just call one of Voldemort's, followers. yeah, loyal followers or whoever. And this is the first time, like, not necessarily this scene, but this book movie is the first time we hear the term Death Eater. And, mm-hmm. um, they all have the same mark or tattoo called the Dark Mark. And, yeah. Um, it is very interesting that we'd always kind of suspected that Snape was like, maybe more of a dark wizard. Yeah. Dark leaning, but we never had actual proof. Yeah. Anyways. So just kind of a big scene. I think I think this is just another example of JK Rowling's like world building yeah. in this, like, We'll get to talk about this more when we compare, but, like, what this book and movie really does for the entire series is just really expand the world. And it does it so well. One better than the other. Um, For the third and final task, the champions must reach the Triwizard Cup located in a hedge maze. After Fleur and Victor are incapacitated, Harry and Cedric reach the cup together. They made it all the way to capacitated? I don't know how they got there from inside a maze. Me neither. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the two together grab the cup. It is a port key and transports them to a graveyard where Pettigrew and Voldemort are waiting. On Voldemort, Voldemort's orders, Pettigrew murders Cedric with the killing curse, then performs a ritual that rejuvenates Voldemort, who then summons the Death Eaters. While all of this is happening, Harry is, like, tied up to a gravestone and just has to watch it happen. Can't do a thing. Yeah. Um, Voldemort challenges Harry to a duel to prove his superiority. Harry casts Expelliarmus to block Voldemort's killing curse. The wand exudes beams which entwine and Voldemort's wand that's a big word disgorges the last spells it performed. The spirits of his murdered victims appear. Cedric, Frank Bryce, and Harry's parents. With their help in distracting Voldemort and his Death Eaters, Harry reaches the port key and escapes with Cedric's body. Scary scene. It is scary. Um, very well, like, portrayed, though. Yeah. I'd, I'd say one of the better portrayed scenes in the movie, and I, I, I'm willing to bet that the director wanted accuracy for this scene. I bet. Yeah, and... This is the first time that we see Rafe Fiennes as Voldemort. Voldemort comes up in a couple other movies, but it's never Rafe Fiennes that's playing him. And he does an amazing job. He does. Very scary. Um, and I also think that the character design for Voldemort is fantastic. Pretty spot on. Yeah, I know that like probably the biggest difference is the eyes. He's supposed to have red eyes, red eyes with slit-like pupils. But in the movie, he just has, I think, blue eyes. With the slit-like pupils. Yeah, does he still have his slit-like pupils? Mm-hmm. He, um, he still looks snake-like. He still looks very snake-like, and um, he looks horrifying, and he looks like a monster, but he also still looks human, mm-hmm. which is, I think, exactly how he's supposed to look, which is pretty great. Um, yeah, Harry tells Dumbledore that Voldemort has returned and is responsible for Cedric's death. Moody takes Harry back to his office. He inadvertently reveals his true identity by asking Harry about the graveyard. Moody admits that he submitted Harry's name to the Goblet of Fire and manipulated events to ensure that Harry won the tournament. Moody attempts to kill Harry, but Dumbledore, Snape, and Minerva McGonagall subdue him. Moody is administered Veer to Serum, forcing him to reveal that he is actually an imposter. Dun, 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 and the real Moody is found imprisoned inside a magical trunk. As the Polyjuice Potion wears off, the imposter Moody is revealed to be Barty Crouch Jr. Barty Crouch Jr. Who has returned to Azkaban. Um, yeah, another crazy plot twist. And that's also something that goes pretty differently in the book than how it goes in the movie. Yeah. Well, we can... Hopefully we can get to that later. Mm-hmm. Alright. Um... Dumbledore tells students that Voldemort killed Cedric despite the Ministry of Magic opposing the revelation. Dumbledore later apologizes to Harry for the dangers he endured. Harry reveals that he saw his parents in the graveyard. Dumbledore says it was priori incantatum. Before the school year ends, Hogwarts, Durmstrang, and Bobaton bid farewell to each other. Um, And priori incantatum is the term for when they're... Uh, wand spells collide and yeah. make things happen. Um, Let's discuss differences. Cause let's do it. Seems like a pretty natural place to do it. So I've already discussed 
the lack of denoming the Weasley's yard. The lack of S P E W S P E W. There's no house elves in this. S P E W is the society that um, Hermione starts because she becomes very impassioned about um, house elves and how badly they're treated. So it stands for Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, Gron and Harry call it Spew, and she gets mad at them. She's like, "It's not Spew." Um, and basically she goes on this, like, big quest to set all of the house elves in Hogwarts free, even though they don't want to be set free, and it's like this weird, um, I don't think it needs to be in the movie. I'm not missing it, to be honest. Right, but it would be cool if Dobby could have been in the movie. I agree. Um, Dobby played a pretty big role, I'd say, uh, like, a big minor role in the book, like... He gives Harry the gillyweed in the, to, succe- yeah. to succeed in the second task. And I think that was actually smart to for Neville yep. to do that in the movie uh, because he that kind of foreshadows him or just shows like how confident he is in his herbology. In his herbology and like kind of shows where he's going like in life because yep. he does eventually become the herbology teacher. Mm-hmm. At Hogwarts. But, um, so yeah, that does make sense. But at the same time, Dobby's such a beloved character, especially in the books. Um, and the fact that we don't get to see him until the seventh movie is just kind of sad. Yeah, I agree. Um, another difference I've also talked about a little bit, but the third task is quite a bit different in the movie. Um, there's a Sphinx. Yeah, in the book there's a sphinx, and Harry has to answer a riddle. There's these crazy creatures called blast-ended scroots. Is that what they're called? Wait, the full, fully grown ones? Yeah, well, they become fully grown by the time they get in the maze, and they've been um, taking care of them with Hagrid and care of magical creatures. I just don't mm-hmm. know if I'm saying the name right. Yeah, that's right. That's the name of okay. them. Um... And there's just a lot more that happens. Isn't there a spider? There's a huge spider, I think. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. And really in this, just... The... There's a, there, there's a, um, a bogger. So yep. Harry thinks that there's a Dementor in there. Yep. Um, so pr- pretty much in the movie, just the, the maze is enchanted. Which is kind of spooky. Yeah. And um, it's just not as cool. Yeah. Basically, I think the idea that they're trying to get behind in the movie is that just being alone in a dark maze is enough to be scary for the champions, which for sure, I would be freaking out personally, but I don't think it's supposed to really be like that in the book. There are some calamities, like the, like the vines do end up like... They can get you. They can get you, but it's not like... It's not like a boggart or a blasted scroot is after you. Right. Um, another difference is how they handle Mad-Eye Moody and how he's actually Barty Crouch Jr. in the book. Um, yeah, they give him the Veritas Serum and have him explain kind of everything. That he is the one who cast the Dark Mark and he, um, how he escaped from Azkaban with help of his parents and how... Kind of how he's been, like, actually living at home with Barty Crouch Sr. 
under an invisibility cloak for like quite some time and it's just I don't know. Under the Imperious Curse. Under the Imperious Curse. He really like throws his dad under the bus. Um, and then when he's supposed to um, testify what happened to um, the ministry, um, it doesn't end up getting to happen because um, a Dementor comes and sucks out his soul. So he has no more self in him to actually share any memories. Yep. Um... But in the, in, the, in the book, it's not like that. In the movie, it's not like that at all, I should say. Right, you have no idea exactly what happens to him in Right, the movie. and he doesn't even say that much in the movie. He just says, he just turns back into Barty Crouch Jr. And he's like, he's back. Voldemort has returned. That's kind of it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, um, you're probably, you're in the movie, you're just kind of supposed to think, oh, it was him the entire time. And, yeah, it was. But, like, you want to know reasoning and... All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the book, I mean, Cornelius Fudge really <laughs> fudged up. He sure did. And, he flubbed the dub, if you will. And let uh, the Dementors kiss happen yeah. um, too soon. And uh, I mean, I think there's a pretty good argument that it shouldn't happen at all, but, you know. Yeah. We're, we're not going to get into wizarding politics. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other differences? Can you think of anything? Um. Well, I mean, uh, kind of like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, the um, opening, like it's very similar, but it goes into more detail in the book. And like in the book, you're like kind of wondering why it's from this kind of like this random old dude's perspective, yeah. and like. It's like, it's, it, you know, it's the whole first chapter. And you're like, who is this? Did I get the right book? Like, what's right, happening? Right. It doesn't just focus on Harry's dream either. It kind of mm-hmm. tells the whole backstory to Frank Bryce that's not even in Harry's dream. Right. And then, much like the movie, it does go to Harry waking up. But I believe he's at number four, Privet Drive. He is, in the book. In the movie, he wakes up at the Weasley's house. Mm-hmm. And he's corresponding with... Um, Sirius? Sirius. And tells Sirius about the dream. Um, and... Oh! This is another... This is a big thing. Okay. Um, the, the Weasleys come to number four, Privet Drive. Oh my gosh, yeah! And they like... Blast into the fireplace. Yeah. And funny. it's the first time that the Dursleys meet any other wizards besides Harry. And it's just, it goes way wrong. Um, and it's the first time that um, Mr. Weasley gets to see for himself how badly the Dursleys treat Harry. Because... Ron, Fred, and George have kind of seen it, like, when they went to pick Harry up in the flying car in the second book, and they're like, oh my gosh, there's bars on his window, geez, like, the Dursleys kind of suck. And then I remember in the book, um, when Harry's getting into the fireplace to go back with the Weasleys, Mr. Dur- Mr. Weasley is like, um, are the Dursleys not going to say bye to you? Like, do they want to give you a hug? They're not going to see you for a whole year. And Harry's like, they literally don't want to hug me. Like, I don't even know why you just asked me that. And Mr. Weasley, like, cannot fathom being, like, the family of Harry and not caring for him and not wanting to, like, say bye. And I think that's kind of, like, a wake-up moment for the Weasleys. Like, oh, 
Harry's actually in like a really bad household. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty big moment. And I mean, of course, Fred and George have fun with Dudley. They test out some uh the to- the tongue tongue toffee. Yeah. yeah. Um it, <laughs> Poor Dudley gets gets messed with at every chance possible. Um but yeah, those are those are some of the biggest differences and there there are probably more that we're missing, but those are the ones that we can think of right now. So, Erica, let's um sing the song. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Badu, the podcast within the podcast where cool dudes talk bad dudes. I am your host, Erica Weiss, and I am joined by fellow cool dude, Aaron. This week, we are looking at the villains from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And we will be comparing them with the other Harry Potter villains. Correct. This week, we have... Um, I'm going to put Voldemort, yeah. Peter Pettigrew, yeah, that's true, and Barty Crouch, Barty Crouch Jr. Jr. Um, this movie more so than other movies, uh, Snape and Malfoy are non-factors. Whoa, that's pretty true. Especially the movie. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the biggest thing with Snape and the movie is finding out that he used to be a death eater but that uh, that Dumbledore trusts him and knows that he is actually turned to spy against Voldemort. Right and the biggest thing for um, Malfoy? Malfoy is Potter stinks. Yeah that's so true. <laughs> Everyone's saying it. <laughs> I think I'm going to put it at number one. These villains? Yeah. Yeah I agree with that. So Got Voldy. Yep. Um, Wormtail. And Junior. ECJ. <laughs> I'm just gonna put Junior. <laughs> um, which brings us to Kudu Dada. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Dada, the podcast within a podcast. Where cool dudes talk defense against the dark arts teachers. I am your host, Aaron Weiss, and I am joined by fellow cool dude, Erica, as usual. Let's take a look at this week's Dada's. Dada. Um, this time it is Barty Crouch Jr., and we are under the assumption that he's not actually him. Right. That it's Mad-Eye Moody until the very end. Right. And... He's honestly a really good teacher. Yeah, I mean, okay, he makes some questionable decisions as a teacher, like teaching unforgivable curses and actually performing them in class and actually performing one of them on the students. That's pretty questionable, but Harry learns a lot. And it's actually mm-hmm. a very valuable class for him. I'm, I'm going to put him at number two. I very much agree with that. I, I think that... Um, had he not been an imposter, he might even be at number one. Um, Too bad he's a Death Eater. I'm going to put fake Moody. Gorgeous. All right. Now, in fact, it's in that class that Harry learns 
how to throw off the Imperius curse. Yep. And he's able to throw off Voldemort's Imperius curse at the end of the book. Yep. Which is pretty big. Mm-hmm. So do we want to give a score to this movie and to this book? Yes. Where do you put it? The movie, I would give... Um... A 6.5. Okay. And the book I would give um, probably an 8.5. Okay. I'm going to give the movie a 7. Okay. And the book, I like the book being at 8.5. Um, so, for the first time... We have something interesting afoot. Usually, our book and movies kind of correspond with where they are on the list. But now, our movie score has a lower score than the book. Thus making it... So, the Harry Potter Goblet of Fire movie mm-hmm. is is last right now right with a 6.5 but the book didn't you say that you would give it a seven i did give it a seven but i average it what did i give it a six i thought i gave it a 6.5 oh so it'd be 6.75 oops so right still last still last but the movie interestingly is that an 8.5. Yep. Or the book. No, it's the movie is at, yeah, an 8.5. The book at, sorry. So we're now having to put that into our list in a weird way. So, for the movies, number one, Harry Potter. And The Prisoner of Azkaban, 9.5. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 8.25. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, 7.5. Now, for the books, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 9.25. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 8.75. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, 8.5. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, 8. Cool. Yeah. So... Tweet us your personal ranking at Weisscast. We'd love to know what you like better, the book or the movie. Do we have unpopular opinions or do we have a very common opinion? We'd also like to know, what is your favorite task? Yes, I would love to know that. And do you think that you could survive the Triwizard Tournament? I sure couldn't. Actually, I would survive because I would just be like Fleur and lose really quick. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would also be like Fleur, like... You know, I would do my best on the first task, but just, like, kind of, you know what? I see how dangerous this is. I'm uh, gonna, you know. I'm too pretty for this. (laughs) (laughs) I am too pretty for this. Until next week, stay pretty.